You know, one of the ways you know the Lord isn't finished with you yet is that he allowed you the opportunity to come worship and to sit under the word of God. That he gave you the motivation this morning to do that, you know, and he has given you another opportunity to hear from him and to see what he has for your life. So if you're here today and you don't really go to church or you're new or somebody invited you and not a Christian or anything like that. This is God's um, invitation and opportunity for you to learn the things that he wants to do in your life and for you to take part in God's plan for your life. This is God's invitation to you this morning. Uh, and so I do want to say welcome. There is a connect card. There's two cards on your seat I want you to know about real quick. The first is a connect card. So if you're new or if, you're un if you haven't committed yet to what God is doing here and to you growing here, uh, go ahead and fill that out. We'd love to give you a gift in the lobby in exchange for that. The second thing is the back to school bash on August 13th from 3 to 5 p.m. And so number one, we want you to come. Uh, this year it's going to have like fall festival vibes, right? We're just going to throw a party. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're also going to hand out backpacks uh, for the kids of our congregation and the kids of our community. So uh, any kid who comes can get a backpack. We would love to be able to serve our community this way. So the way that you can get involved, uh, we do this every year. The way you can get involved this year is a little different, is we have these backpacks pre-made. And so we're asking those of you that are part of our community to scan this QR code, and it's $20 per backpack. So if you want to donate or help us provide these backpacks, uh, you can go ahead and donate the $20 or $40 or $60. Do the math. Okay, however many backpacks you want to do, multiply 20 times that number, all right? Uh, participate with us. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time for us to serve and bless our community and for us to do that together. So that's going to be August 13, 3 to 5. Come join us, and then also help us provide the backpacks uh, for those who may not be able to do so for themselves in this season of life. Uh, and so we're excited to do that together. So before we jump into the word, uh, just want to let you know this Friday, my family and some City Light staff team members are uh, leaving for a few days to go do two things. Number one is we're going to visit the Dream Center outreach, which is in Los Angeles, uh, which is a huge, 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 huge outreach thing uh, that we want to learn a lot from. They do ministry center, community center type ministry really well, and they've been doing it for years. And so for an effort for us to continue to grow and to do that well here, we're going to go learn some together as a staff. And then uh, even more excitingly, after that, we're going to drive down across the border. We're going to go into Tijuana, Mexico. We're going to visit our partners, La Roca Ministries, where we are establishing the very first International City Light Center. Okay, so... Yeah, you should praise God for that. Uh, last year, remember in December, you helped raise $75,000 to get this thing going. Uh, and they're already and have been doing amazing ministry for many, many years. And now we're just coming alongside to strengthen their hands and to help provide uh, something in the community like this for them. So we're going to get to go uh, be a part of that. And I'm really excited about what God is doing. So I'm going to be here uh, next Sunday. Our wonderful Pastor John's going to come lead us. Uh, it's going to be great. But um, just be praying, praying that the Lord um, equips us to continue to do the ministry well, praying that the Lord allows us to be a blessing to those that we encounter. Uh, and pray for me because I'm putting six kids on an airplane for five hours. So uh, I need lots of prayer. This would be my first, the first flight my kids have ever taken. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're just going to do it all alone. Let's just rip the bandaid off. Everybody go. We're going to take a long flight. It's going to be great, all right? So uh, really excited about the time change and everything, you know, and they'll be feeling good. So all you parents understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know when they're going to go to sleep. Their body's going to be so confused, but... It's all right. We're going to have a lot of fun. So, uh, 
excited for that, excited um, uh, to be involved in those things. So today, uh, we are finishing our Second Thessalonians series. Over the next three weeks, the 17th, the 24th, and the 31st, we're going to have people come in and speak. Uh, and then in August, we're going to begin a new series, which I'm really excited about. But today, we're finishing Second Thessalonians uh, with these last six to, verses 6 to 18. Uh, the final message for our series, which we've been in for months, the series called More and More in First and Second Thessalonians, the final message today is do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. And what we see is that endurance is the essential characteristic that's needed to do the same things over and over and over again. So if the message of these books and if the message that we need to receive as a church is to continue in the same things, to continue to seek to pray, to continue to love one another, to continue to serve our community. We don't need new things. We don't need flashy, great ideas. We need to continue to do the same things over and over and over again. The essential characteristic a person and a church needs then is endurance. It's endurance. We said this a few weeks ago. We need a perspective change. So what we call mundane, God calls faithful. Remember that? Whatever we call mundane, routine, doing the same thing over and over and over and again, God calls faithful. It's faithfulness. And what, uh, what Paul's trying to build in the congregation and what he's trying to then, therefore, what God is doing in us is to cultivate this faithfulness, this endurance, this commitment uh, to doing the same things over and over and over again. Therefore, of course, he ends these two books with this phrase, do not grow weary in doing good. Now, I really wanted to, to primarily encourage us this morning to not grow weary in doing good. But sometimes you have an idea as a pastor, and then you read the text a bunch, and you realize there's a lot of other things to be said, and some of them are more challenging. And so, you know, it's a pastor's heart. I want to encourage you this morning, make you feel great about what God is doing, which we will do. Uh, but to be faithful to the text, there is an intensive challenge here that we must address. And so... Basically, what Paul is going to do is to both challenge and encourage us on the same topic. If you are not actively doing good, it is a challenge to get engaged in the work. And if you are doing good, it is an encouragement to not grow tired of that. So, in light of that, go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. All right. That was a good hearty one. Yeah. Amen. We're going to read verses 6 through 18 and, and finish the book here. All right. He says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. This should sound familiar if you were here a few months ago when we were in First Thessalonians. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now it's the challenge. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what, he say, what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. 
Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So Paul starts this in verse 6 by emphasizing the problem, which is in accord with what we've been saying the whole time. He says, you are not living in accord with the tradition you have received from us, meaning that instead of doing the same things more and more, you have deviated from the things you were originally taught. Right? So the primary issue in the life of this congregation is that they have deviated, they have some have taken a left turn, they have turned away from the things they were originally taught and the path that they were on already. And therefore we see this idea once again how important it is to continue in the path the Lord has already set out for us, to continue to believe the things the Lord has taught us through the word, to continue to pursue the things the Lord brought us here to do, and to not deviate to the left or to the right, but to live in accord with the tradition that was received, that we have received from the word and what the Lord has established here at City Light. So this is the essential problem. They have deviated from the things they were originally taught. And I wonder how that might be true for some of you that in your effort to try something new or a new way of life or a new type of idea, you've actually deviated off of the path of life God has set out for you. And your problem now isn't that you need a new thing, but you need to return to the old thing, the thing that you received at first, the thing that maybe your parents were faithful to pass down to you or the thing that you received at some point in the gospel the Lord is calling you back to this morning. Now, that's the problem. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to do two things. He's going to challenge the idol, and he's going to encourage those who are working hard. So we'll start with the challenge. So this issue, if you were with us a few months ago, this seems to be pervasive. He basically ends 1 Thessalonians the same way, if you remember. He ends it the same way. He challenges those who aren't working, and then he encourages those who are doing well to continue. And so this seems to be a pervasive problem. And I think we can learn a lot about this. So what I'm going to call this, which I hope maybe helps you kind of resonate with what might be going on in your life with this, I'm going to call it the idol of idleness. Or if you want to call it idleness, idolatry, okay? Whichever one sticks with you best, the idol of idleness. Now, some of you probably heard this thing about idol, and you're like, man, I live in D.C. Everybody here is busy, you know? Nobody here is idle. Or you see, it says, if you do not work, you should not eat. And you're like, I have a job. I feed myself, so this doesn't apply to me. You know, like, that's not me. All right, I'm a responsible human being. Well, uh, I have bad news for you, okay? It probably does apply to you. And I'm going to give you uh, six different characteristics of idleness that I think the passage reveals that expands the symptom from just, okay, uh, I'm not working. I'm, I'm technically lazy. I'm not even providing for myself, right? Which, if you are able to do so, that is a problem. That's certainly part of it. But it's wider than that. So the idol of idleness, and I want you to see, especially in the midst of this ambitious city, I want you to be aware and to maybe have some of these characteristics help you discern what areas of your life you might be walking in idleness. All right? So here are six things the text seems to say, uh, characteristics. The first is this, not making good use of your time. Just not making good use of your time. There's extreme examples. They're not working, but they're also using their time to gossip and to be involved in other people's business. Generally speaking, they're just not using their time well. 
They're not making good use of their time. So an aspect of idleness is simply not redeeming the time, not being intentional with your time. Scrolling way too long, you know what I'm saying? This is the part of the the issue of idleness, and I want you to bring it into your everyday life. One of the things that I I kept thinking about when I was was working through this, and and this this is a, a phrase that doesn't always apply, but it should spark something in your mind, is that what you call decompressing, God might call idleness. Just thought it might be worth saying, and it's not wrong to decompress. It's not wrong to watch a show. It's not wrong to okay. We're not extremists over here. Okay, be a normal person. That's fine. But 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 there is a line, and maybe maybe what you call decompressing, God calls idleness, and it's an idol in your life, because instead of finding your rest in God, you have chosen to primarily find it somewhere else, and then you end up unrested. You see how this works? Because you have taken advantage of your freedom, you have therefore not used your time well. And that has led you to places you don't want to be, which we're going to see later how this works. So this is the expanded version of idleness, not making good use of your time, which all of us are guilty of at some level or another. Okay, nobody in here perfectly uses all of their time. That's ridiculous. So we all need to consider... Okay, what is it in my life that might be an idol of idleness in simply the form of not making good use of my time? And I thought the most probably relevant one for all of us is that what we call decompressing God might call idleness. And it should be something for you to consider and just to take that uh, to evaluate your life and to see whether that might be true or not. Okay, the second thing is this, which I think we see just generally here, is expecting others to carry their responsibilities God has given you. Idleness is not making good use of your time. Idleness is also expecting others to carry the responsibilities God has given you, which is what they're doing. They're not working, but they're eating the food someone else has provided. They're taking advantage of someone else being responsible, and they are expecting someone else to carry the responsibilities God has given them to provide for themselves. Now, once again, you say, well, I have a job. Great, I'm glad that you have a job. But there's more to it than that. What areas of your life could you possibly be expecting others to carry the responsibilities God has given you? You know, if you are a parent, it is your job to disciple your kids, not the church's job. We come along to support you. It is your job to raise your kids to know and love God. You carry the primary responsibility. And sometimes, even with good intentions, we expect others to carry the responsibilities God has given us. Do you do this at work? Are there areas in your life where you are simply expecting others to carry the responsibilities God has given you? Maybe you call it delegation. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe not. Delegation's wonderful. You can't do everything by yourself. But uh, I gave a staff talk once called The Danger of Delegation. It's a great thing. There's a, there's a text in there. It's wonderful. I can't do that now. Okay? But you need to be careful, all right? Sometimes you need to carry the responsibilities God has given you. So idleness is expecting others to carry the responsibilities God has given you. Uh, the third thing, a third characteristic, is idleness is not adding to but taking away from the people and places in your life. Meaning that when you show up, 
generally your participation is a taking away, not an adding to. So when you show up, you're taking away, not adding to, to the places in your life. When you show up, you're taking away, not adding to, from the people in your life. Now, obviously, in healthy relationships, there's a give and take, and we're receiving and giving and all these things, okay? So you're not always supposed to just be the only adding. But it's a disposition, it's, a, it's an emphasis thing to say, uh, generally speaking, if you're walking in idleness, when you show up, you're taking away, you are burdening others as opposed to it being also a blessing. And so we should carry each other's burdens. Obviously, you're going to come into life. You're going to bring burdens to people. That's normal. I'm not saying you coming with needs is bad. But I am saying that if you generally, as a disposition, are taking away and are not actively trying to add to the environments and the people in your life, then you are walking in idleness. And are there places and people in your life where you are taking from but not adding to? Then you are walking in idleness. The fourth characteristic is that your daily decisions are selfish and not sacrificial. Your daily decisions are selfish and not so To walk in idleness is to just constantly be selfish. It's to constantly have this idea that y'all need to take care of me and I need to him. It's to constantly be selfish as opposed to sacrificial. And the reason why he has to encourage these other people is they're being sacrificial. And the people who are receiving are still being selfish. So it's really hard to keep doing that. So he has to encourage them in that way. But to walk in idleness is to daily just consider self as opposed to daily consider sacrifice. There is a disposition, and obviously there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole wide spectrum of you growing in this, but is your general attitude throughout the day, how can I sacrifice for others, or is your general attitude throughout the day, how can I get mine? A person who walks in idleness, their daily decisions are mostly selfish and very often not sacrificial. The fifth characteristic... And this one's this one. I love the way Paul says this. He says it better than me, but I'm going to say it like this. Lazy with your own life, but busy in everyone else's life. Woo, uh, yeah. Why don't you look at someone that's like that? No, I don't do that. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Don't do that. Paul says not busy at work, but busy bodies, which is a really clever spin on words. But to, to be idle is to be lazy with your own life, but busy in everyone else's. It is to be lazy with your personal development, but busy critiquing everyone else's lack of development. It's to be lazy with your own study, but critiquing those who are, you know, trying to do their best in life. It's to be lazy. It's to be lazy with your own development, with your own life. It's to not see the plank in your own eye and to try to dig out the speck in your brother's eye. To walk in idleness is to not ever try to get better yourself, but to complain about how everyone else is doing around you. This gets us a lot, is to be lazy with our own eyes or to give a ton of grace to ourselves and to constantly judge others. It is to lack concern for my own holiness, but to be totally concerned about your little sins. It's to be totally overwhelmed and complacent with my life but to be very busy and active in everyone else's life. It is to spend five minutes reading the Bible, but an hour on Instagram. Lazy with your own life, but busy in everyone else's. 
This is what it looks like to walk in idleness. Are you lazy in your own life? Are you lazy in your own family? Are you lazy in your own work? Are you lazy in your own personal growth and development? Are you lazy in your own spiritual life, but busy in everyone else's life? Paul says, you're busy, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And I think if I'm right, if my intuition is right, this ought to be probably the most challenging of all the characteristics and one you ought to really consider in your own life, particularly with social media and how that just prompts a culture that is lazy in their own life but busy in everyone else's life. That's why at the end of 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, remember, mind your own business. Do your work with your hands. Be, live a quiet life. That's good, good advice. Okay, that's the, that's the fifth thing, a characteristic of idleness. Okay, the final one is that you are unwilling to work hard and you always try to just get by. So you may say, I do have a job. But then Paul would look back and say, are you working hard at your job? So great, there is the great. You're not not working. But there's this disposition here of an unwillingness to work hard and to always try to find the easy way out. It's like some of you where you only work out hard when the trainer's looking at you, you know? Okay? Well, I just recently tried, some C-Lite people are doing this workout thing, okay? And I've tried it a few times. And uh, I run, but I don't work out with weights, okay? That's not, that's not normally how I do things. And uh, I did one the other day, and it was like, nah, this ain't, this ain't it. Like, I just, I'm really tired. And she would, I would pad these weights, and then she would look at me and be like, take those strong, you know, take those bigger weights. And I'd be like, uh, okay. And then I would do that. Then I'd be looking, and as soon as she walked away, I'd be like, oh, thank the Lord. <laughs> You know, you know, and then she comes back. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, 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 to be, it's to be unwilling to work hard, to always try to get by. You guys know this in, in many jobs that you've had. I remember so much when I was doing landscaping how half the people would just find a tree to go chill under until the boss kind of came around. You know, it's like you're not doing nothing until you are. You know, it's just an unwillingness to work hard. But this idea that I just want to do enough, you know, just want to get by. And I think that could be very much so manifest in our lives, in our workplaces. So six characteristics of idleness. Where do you find yourself in these six things? The idol of idleness is characterized by not making good use of your time, expecting others to carry the responsibilities God has given you, not adding to, but taking away from the people and places in your life, having daily decisions that are selfish and not sacrificial, being lazy with your own life, but busy in everyone else's, and being unwilling to work hard, but always trying to just get by. Where do you see yourself now walking in idleness? Where are you worshiping the idol of idleness? Now, Paul says here, uh, this word idol is actually interesting because when you study it, it's much broader than the English definition. So in English definition, you would think idleness is like nothing. It's like not doing anything, being idle. But in the terms of the Greek word, the word idol is actually used throughout, even in another spot in the New Testament, to describe a disorderly mob. So being idle is actually more like being out of line. 
So it is to do nothing, but it is to do nothing to the extent where now you become a person who is disorderly. Now, that's why Paul connects idleness to busybodies. And this is important now because we get this biblical connection between idleness doing nothing and wickedness, which is doing the wrong thing. There's a connection between not doing anything and then being disorderly because of your nothingness. And the Bible is going to help us expand this idea. Uh, this is the great reformer, Calvin. He said it like this, that idle hands are the devil's playground. This is so helpful for us. Okay, you write this down. Not being busy working for good opens you up to being busy doing bad. Why does idleness lead to disorderliness? Why is doing nothing causing problems in the congregation? Why is it bringing about bad things happening around them. It is because not being busy working for good opens you up to being busy doing bad. You are alive. You have to be doing something. There's no such thing as doing nothing. Not in the Bible's terms. And I'm going to show you a parable in just a minute. I want you to get this analogy though in your head. Think about it. It's much harder to drive in reverse from driving in drive than from neutral. So if I'm going in drive, hitting reverse, you know, would kill the trend that the car would die. I don't even know, I've never tried it. It'd be an interesting thing, you know. Have you ever been driving down the road and you just think, what would happen if I just put it in reverse right now? Y'all crazy like me? I, okay, I've never done that, but I just wonder things, you know, like I wonder what would happen to the car. How would it work? Would it stop right away? I don't know. So anyways, uh, does anybody know the answer? You can come up and tell me after if you know the answer to that. Uh, what, what, how does the car respond to that? But if you're sitting in neutral, Putting it in reverse is really easy, and it makes a lot of sense. If you're going in drive, putting the car in reverse becomes much more difficult. Listen to me. If you are not actively moving forward, the devil can much more easily take you backwards. If you think you're sitting in neutral in life, how easy is it from throw one lie at you, walk up, shoop, there you go. See you later. How much more difficult is it if you are actively pursuing the mission of God for one lie or one attempt from the enemy to come up and pull you totally backwards? The reason some of you are going backwards so easily is because you're not proactively moving forwards. This is the connection between nothingness and wickedness. Listen, the goal isn't just to avoid bad, but to actively do good. The goal of a Christian is to just not, is to not, just not commit adultery, but to actively love your spouse. You see what I'm saying? The goal is to do good, not just to avoid doing bad. And some of you walk around as Christians trying to avoid doing bad things, and you don't fill up your time doing good things, and because you don't fill your time doing good things, you have no power to avoid doing the bad things you want to avoid in the first place. The reason why you keep going to your computer is because you haven't found something else to do. The reason why you keep giving into that same temptation is because you haven't filled your time doing something else. You haven't what I call building up a reservoir of obedience where it's so much more easy for you to pull from because you're so actively being obedient in life then it gives you the strength to handle the temptations that come. You're simply trying to not do bad, but the Bible calls you to actively do good. 
And it is your effort to not do bad that is the very thing probably leading to you doing bad because you haven't filled it with doing good. Proactive obedience will leave less room for proactive sinning. So are you sitting in neutral in life or do you think there really is no neutral? How easy is it for you to fall backwards? Are you stuck simply trying to avoid doing bad or are you pursuing and actively doing good? There's a great parable to this to make this point. Matthew 25, Jesus gives the talents away. You know, and the guy gets five and the guy gets two and the guy gets one and the guy who gets five comes back with 10 and the guy who gets two comes back with four and the guy who had one just comes back with one and the master returns and he's angry at him and he says, why didn't you invest it? At least I would have received it upon interest. You think, oh, that was a dummy, you know, a bad mistake. But you know what he does? He says, depart from me, you wicked servant. You know what you learn from Matthew 25 is that nothingness is wickedness. To not actively do good and to not actively engage with your life and to not actively pursue the good of others and the glory of God is to be wicked. There is no such thing as a Christian who just avoids doing bad things. And your Christianity is not marked by your ability to avoid doing bad things. It is marked by your desire to take what God has given you and invest it and engage and make a difference that you can for his glory while you are here. The reason you are so quickly moving backwards is because you are not actively moving forwards. Now, look at the example Paul sets for us. This is really important because it's going to continue to challenge us. He says, listen, I worked really hard so that you wouldn't have to worry about me and so you wouldn't have to provide for me, even though I had that right. This phrase he says uh, in verse 9 it was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example. What a phrase, especially in a time where we are obsessed with our rights. He says, it was not because we do not, I had a right to make you support my life, but to set an example for you, I released my rights. Here's something for you to write down that you need to ponder. It is not about what I have the right to do, but about what is right to do. How can I proactively do good? Well, that's going to involve proactively sacrificing and serving for the benefit of others. It's, my life is not about what I have the right to do. It is about what is right to do. It is about releasing my rights for the good of others. Isn't that what Jesus did? We had no right to kill the Son of God. He deserved to come kill us. That's the whole point. 
But he comes down and he releases all of his rights and he lets little men kill him on a cross for the sake of our salvation. Jesus came down and did not do what he had the right to do. He did what was right to do and it ended up in our salvation. And now we model his example. We do not walk around obsessed with our rights and what we have the right to do, but we walk around obsessed with the will of God and what is right to do. This is what it looks like to walk in Christianity with the Lord, to actually live the way God has wanted us to do, and especially those of us who have lived in this country a long time, and we have many blessings because of it, but we have become obsessed with our rights. And once again, I'm not saying rights are bad. Obviously, we fight for rights for certain things. It's a wonderful blessing to have the rights we do, okay? So don't hear me saying anything crazy. I'm not asking, I'm not saying it's bad or to dismiss it, but... Because you absorb this culture, you apply it to your Christianity, and you have no rights as a Christian. That's the point. It's like I see myself as what? A servant of all people. That's what the Bible calls us to. We're slaves of Jesus. We don't have a right. Jesus tells us what to do. I do that. I don't get to argue with him or have a choice in the matter. And so it's not about what I have the right to do, but it's about what is right to do. Now, here's how you need to proactively do good. We often, we often need to give up what we deserve or have liberty to do for the sake of setting a serious example for what others should do. Okay, how shall I live my life now? Oh, and I don't just go about doing the nice thing or what's convenient for me. Actually, to pursue the Christ way, I am going to actively give up what I deserve. And I'm going to proactively give up what I have the freedom and liberty to do. Why? For the sake of setting a serious example for what others should do. This is what Paul does. I had a right to tell you to pay for me. I had a right to sleep throughout the night. I gave up that right and I built tents so that you could be blessed and so that you could have an example. So you couldn't bring any charge against me. So when I tell you to, to, to work hard, you have an example that I have set for you. He gave up his rights for the sake of setting a serious example. Why? Why would he do that? Why, why, why? Because he loved them. Why? Because he wanted them to be able to listen to him. Because he wanted them to be able to learn. Because he wanted them to be able to grow. And he knew if he made this sacrifice, it would lead towards their growth. We often need to give up what we deserve or have the right or have the liberty to do for the sake of setting a serious example for what others should do. So that is the idol of idleness. And I hope you are encouraged this morning. <laughs> encouraged to be holy, I guess. All right. So the, the second part here, and we're running out of time, so I'll make this quick, is an encouragement to those who are active. So a challenge to those who are idle and an encouragement to those who are active. He says, do not grow weary in doing good. So I want to hopefully help all of us see the ways in which we could be more actively involved with our lives. But then I also want to encourage many of you who are working really hard and doing your best to love your family and to love your church and to love your community and to pursue holiness and to, to know the Lord. You really are putting your, your best foot forward. And the Lord wants to come by and say, don't grow weary in doing good. Look, this word weary is a well-rounded word because it can mean physically or emotionally tired. 
Now, you see what's happening here? There's a group of people that are taking advantage of the responsible people, okay? So this is like when you have the group project and the one person does all the work, okay? And then it makes you really know you don't want to do group projects anymore because you end up doing all the work. This is how they feel. This church is a group project, but there's like 2% of them are doing all the work, okay? Uh, And they'll say, actually, church statistics are that 10% of the congregation does 90% of the work in the congregation. Which I don't actually think is true here, which I'm thankful for, but that still means there's probably a great percentage of those of you who still need to get involved in what God is doing here for the sake of your neighbor. So those who are being responsible are being taken advantage of. So the temptation, what happens? You're a human. It's to say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I work really hard, and you bum around all day, and then you come eat bread at my table, and you do it again and again and again. And what does the human spirit do? It gets cynical gets frustrated. Why would I keep doing this? Why would I keep helping you? I mean, I know this has happened to so many of you where you've done something helpful, but they don't appreciate your help. Or when you get involved in somebody's life or they take advantage of your involvement, what happens to you? You get less inclined to be helpful, not just to them, but you become less inclined to help in general. Those of you heard stories about homeless people that are faking people out, and now you don't be generous to any homeless people anymore. Stop doing that. That's a sin. Don't let that happen. Don't let a few stories that you read on the internet make you disregard all people in need. This is not how this is supposed to work, okay? You and I, we grow cynical. That's why he's saying, you have been investing. Some of you have been to this church the whole time. And you're like, man, I've been giving everything to this thing. And I've been really involved. And you see this other person who's just here and enjoying and not doing nothing. And then your heart gets cynical. And you say, well, what about me? I feel burnt out. I feel frustrated. I'm giving everything to this. And they're not. And then I just want to help you for a second and say, that probably is true in so many ways. But the Bible comes to you and says this. This is so important. The reason we do good is to not get a proper response or outcome on earth, but to please God in heaven. You do good for God. I don't care what anybody else around you is doing. I don't care what they do with the money when you give it to them. I don't care what happens to that. You do good for God. You don't serve at church to make me happy to be better than your neighbor. You come here to serve because you love God. And you're basing your involvement in people's life off the outcome of what you do. And then you're getting tired. And the Lord wants you to fix your eyes on him to say, you serve him, not them. And when you're serving him, you're going to end up serving them. But you're not going to get tired of serving them because it's not about what they do or how they respond to you or how much appreciative they are for you. Every parent in the room knows this. The kids don't appreciate anything you do for a really long time. And then they grow up and they're like, oh, parenting's pretty hard. And they say, thank you. You know, you can't get in it for what people do for you. You get in it for God. This is how you do not grow weary in doing good. Is that you keep your eyes on Jesus. You cultivate love for him. You remember that Hebrews 6 says that faith, or Hebrews 11 says that faith believes that God is and that he rewards those who love him. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown his name in serving the saints as you still do. And ultimately, we take our cues from Jesus, who served others, not first and foremost for their sake, but to do the will of his Father. 
his act of obedience for our good was first and foremost for God's glory and to please God. And so it is, we take our cues from him that our acts of obedience and our sacrificial love are not first and foremost for the people we do it for, but for the God that we serve and love. And since he is faithful and consistent, since he sees and rewards, since his glory will be accomplished, then you know that everything you do in his name is worth it because it's for him, not for them. So don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up when nobody notices how hard you're working. Don't stop being generous because people are ungrateful. Don't let a few stories keep you away from doing good. Don't quit helping people simply because they take advantage of you from time to time. Be generous. Let your work be unto the Lord and do not grow weary in doing good. Let me pray and let's respond to him now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the word of God. How wonderful, what a gift it is to us. Thank you for your presence with us here this morning. Thank you that you're working in each heart. I pray now that those who are walking in idleness would receive the proper conviction and would turn in repentance to being proactively obedient, Lord, that, that needs to happen in all of our lives to one level or another. And I pray as well for my brothers and sisters who really are trying their best, Lord, to love you, to love their family, to serve their church and the community, to make a difference with their lives. I pray, I pray that you would just give them a supernatural Stephen-like vision of you, that they would just see you, Lord. They're not in this for anyone else. I pray that we would fix our eyes on you. We do all of this for you. You're worthy of it all. And so, Lord, make us a church, God, who can faithfully serve a community for years and years and years simply because we love you and because we're doing it for you. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.